G'day, I'm Morgan Evans, and welcome to Selkirk OnServe, a pickleball podcast presented by Selkirk Sport. With interviews and insights, news and announcements, we're here to take the pulse of pickleball. Today's episode is a little different. Not long ago, I took to social media with one mission in mind, to help satisfy the curiosity of players and pundits around the globe. A small torrent of questions came in, and I'm going to attempt to get to them all. Now, obviously, due to the number of questions we had, uh, we're going to split this into a couple of parts. The first one, we should be able to get through some fantastic, thought-provoking questions and a handful of silly ones, but it'll be a good time had by all. The first question was from Nancy Mangioni. Now, Nancy has been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, She's the wife of Dean Mangione, one of the ambassadors in Palm Springs. He was a huge help to me when I was running pickleball tournaments back in the day. Cheers, mate. Anyway, Nancy writes, Since you live in a dry desert climate, how does the humidity in Florida affect your game? In a word, Nancy, badly. Uh, I do not enjoy the constant sweating. Um... Having my shoes being soaked with sweat is not much fun. It's it's a real challenge. Um, I think the U.S. Open is is kind of like the French Open of pickleball. The the physical battle is much greater there than I I find anywhere else. Um, trying to get used to the ball speed being slower. You know, there's a lot of moisture in the air. Um, points last longer, and with that humidity and heat combined. Um, trying to maintain hydration obviously is is a much greater battle than here in the desert. In terms of my game, it's something where I have to realize um, the amount of patience required to build a point um, and effectively get something to attack is going to take longer. People are having an easier time to control the pace of their dinks and third balls especially Um, So there's just not as many attacking opportunities and the game becomes an even greater game of chess than it it might be um, in some other environments where it sometimes looks a little more like checkers. The next question comes from Mr. Mo Nard. I haven't met Mo, but I, uh, I enjoy his name, so I will certainly field this question. He writes, what is your favorite hydration drink? I'm currently suffering from Rhabdomylysis, uh, rhabdomylysis, rab, Right. Well, Mo, thank you for making me sound ridiculous uh, on this semi-live radio. Uh, I'll try one more time. I'm currently suffering from rhabdomylysis. God, I suck at that. Due to acute dehydration following a tournament. I need a great hydration drink. Well, don't we all, Mo? Don't we all? So, my favorite um, is Liquid IV. Uh, It comes in little packets. Uh, You can get them from CVS pharmacies. Um, They're relatively expensive, at least two or three dollars per packet. Um, But if you look at the um, the ingredients, it has often two or three times more of the main ingredients you need to worry about, and that's potassium, magnesium, and sodium. Um, you can you can make up your own um, hydration drink at home. It's not difficult. It's literally a combination of salt, sugar, and water. 
um, the keys you're going to have to think about is not so much uh, which one you choose. There's a lot of very good hydration drinks out there. Um, the great Hellespara mentioned Advocare Rehydrate is uh, is awesome. I've had that before. That's uh, it is it is great. Um, I'm also a big fan of Body Armor. Just the the drinks um, you you buy pre-prepared. Um, they taste great. The liquid IVs, they're a kind of a lemon lime flavor, and I'm a huge fan of the taste as well. So something that you actually enjoy the taste of is going to help you more than anything else because you're more likely to want to drink more of it. Um, aside from what you actually choose, the important things for hydration is early and often. What you drink when you first wake up in the morning is so much more important than what you might have at three or four o'clock in the afternoon um, you know when you're just getting ready for your gold medal match so I'll typically have at least uh, 25-30 ounces of water often mixed with electrolytes when I wake up knowing that that's going to give me a great chance of good hydration for the morning at least um, and then keeping up in between matches uh, and at change of ends um, timeouts obviously you've got to be diligent with it. I actually used to suffer a lot from acute dehydration. Um, I've been to the emergency room no less than three or four times with the subsequent um, hypovolemic shock that that can result in acute dehydration where the organs of your body start shutting down to protect the brain, um, which is not much fun. So heat stroke, sunstroke, acute dehydration is, is really no joke. Um, so make sure you, you, know, you get that hydration in early and often um, and choose something that really tastes good to you. Um, protein apparently is something that helps with the absorption rate of um, whatever hydration drink um, you choose. You will see, read about and, and uh, hear from professional tennis players, um, squash players, badminton variety of athletes that um, chocolate milk is something that really helps because um, it does have quite a lot of protein in it as well and that helps you absorb um, up to 80 to 90 percent I have uh, read um, of the the water that's also in there so a little food for thought drink for thought so to speak okay moving on to an Australian David Killen by far the loudest Australian in America he once asked me uh, if I thought he was refereeing too loud during nationals, to which I said yes, resoundingly yes. Everybody on all the courts can hear you calling out the score. It's a little distracting, but cheers for representing, mate. Anyway, David asks Vegemite or Tim Tams. Well, this is not. Uh, these are two are not mutually exclusive. Um, the world has probably heard of Vegemite and it's somewhat unanimously agreed upon in America that it, it is a disgusting experience. Um, it is not. It is amazing. It is, uh, it is actually a superfood. It's so rich in vitamin B that um, essentially you're glowing for about two or three days after your first intake. Uh, the keys out there, people, is you're going to want to be fairly liberal with your butter on toast. Um, I'm a fan of sourdough. And then be pretty sparing with your Vegemite. The problems come in 
when people are just lathering on Vegemite like it's some kind of jelly. That's, that's not the way. That, you know, that much Vegemite is enough to take down a small elephant. Don't do that because you'll never have it again. Tim Tams, that's, um, for those of you who don't know, it is a kind of a chocolate biscuit um, cookie, I, I hear. Um, and a Tim Tam is just a good time had by all. There's, there's nothing better than a couple of Tim Tams that have been in the fridge after, I like Indian food, a good spice, and that, uh, then that chocolate, God, it's good. If you haven't had Tim Tams, you, I mean, you really haven't lived. Um, David should be able to attest to that. You can find them on Amazon. Um, I believe Whole Foods might have them. Oh, someone told me that they can get them at Target. So Target may indeed have Tim Tams, and you owe it to yourself, your loved one, your family, to get out there, stop whatever you're doing right now, get to your nearest Target, probably call them first to check they've got it. Um, you can also yeah, find it on Amazon for sure. So Tim Tams, Vegemite, that's the stuff they eat in heaven, people. Okay, moving on to a more serious question. Ben Paquette writes, with this great sport largely supported by the baby boomer generation, and most of the tournaments being top heavy in older age brackets, do you feel there is enough of a following with the younger players to support the sustainable growth needed in order for this sport to make it to the next level? Good question, Ben. I don't think so, Ben. Not yet. I believe we haven't quite reached critical mass in that market um, to really support huge amounts of growth just yet. Now, we're certainly heading in the right direction, but we're not in schools and colleges to any real effect just yet. That's going to have to happen. I think we'll know when we've really uh, we've really reached that generation when we see 14-year-old kids posting photos of their new paddle on Instagram and Snapchatting friends around the world um, about their re recent performances. Now we have a handful of fantastic players in their late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, early 30s, um, and I think it would take a sustained and coordinated effort for those players, all those millennials, um, to have a, a coordinated social media push of not just themselves and their victories, but the sport in general. Um, if that was to happen on social media, then it could certainly help the, the cause um, starting to spread the word in that manner, because there are certainly fantastic young players that younger players look up to. Um, kids who are at tournaments because of their parents being there, you know, they're likely to look at the, the Tyson McGuffins, Ben Johns, Kyle Yates, um, these kinds of players at that sort of age, um, and look up to them and think, wow, these people are real athletes um, working hard on the court, and other players look up to them, and the industry looks up to them and, and asks them the questions that you're asking. Can you support us? Can you get us to that next level? Um, and they're trying, you know, they're doing the best they can. But right now, the the pie is still so small that they're shooting for their biggest piece, as opposed to trying to build the pie in general. Um, we're fortunate that paddle manufacturers, um, such as Selkirk, <laughs> I'm somewhat biased, obviously, but that's true. 
you know, they're working hard to, to help grow the sport and not just the individual players that uh, are representing them. A friend of mine from the desert here poses the next question, Gregory Carter. And he writes, do you feel that the top pro players in pickleball would truly look like amateurs if top pro tennis players ever decided to cross over and compete? Hmm, no, I don't think so. I think it would take a lot longer for professional tennis players to reach uh, the top level of pickleball than they might like to admit. For them, they still look at pickleball as um, you know the redheaded stepchild of tennis. But the few that have really tried it, um, the Andre Agassiz and the uh, Andy Roddicks out there, to name but a few, have tried it and they've looked a little silly. Um, it's not to say they wouldn't be able to pick it up and excel very quickly. However, the nuances involved at the top level of pickleball um, can't really be caught on camera. Um, there are elements of the game and levels of consistency under pressure um, and knowledge of other players that are involved in being able to compete and win at the highest level and that will take years. Um, remember, the, the, a lot of the top pickleball players are former tennis professionals, whether it be at the professional level or collegiate, um, and they've been working hard at this for years as well. And, and for someone to be able to come in just with fantastic natural skills coming from tennis, um, it's not gonna be a overnight situation. I would say if, if, for example, Mr. Federer decided to play pickleball tomorrow, I would still think it's going to be a six-month turnaround before he wins a major with um, someone you know, like-minded and, and uh, as skillful as him um, in doubles, obviously. In singles, it's a slightly different animal. I think they would have a very good chance um, quickly, and we saw where when Caitlin Christian came into the game, and she's a, a doubles player, um, but moves fantastically well for a, a female doubles player on the WTA tour, she came in and without too much training, I'll be honest, she was able to um, excel in singles, win some titles, um, take down some of the big names. So in singles, where strategically, um, the game is a little more simple versus most players. There are obviously some players that are tough nuts to crack, um, but doubles is obviously a much more uh, difficult puzzle for any player to come in and assume they're gonna they're gonna do well. Um, I'd love to see it though. I'd love to see it. That would be good. And Roger, if you can hear me, um, I'm open for the 2020 nationals. I'm pretty sure he listens. Roger, get back to me. The next question comes from Arun Singh, and he writes, Hey Morgan, why are well-executed lobs being so hated on by so many? Is it a tactical shot in pickleball, or must you avoid them at all costs? Are they an integral part of the sport or not? Thanks, CP, uh, Coach Potato that appears to be. Okay, Arun, it's a shame. Poor old lobs, they get a bad rap. It's unfortunate because the lob is a wonderful shot to be able to play. 
Uh, I think it gets overused at the lower levels, 2.5, 3.0, 3.5. And I think one of the reasons is many people get into pickleball um, because it is a slightly more relaxed physical test than, say, tennis. Um, and when people start introducing the lobs, often it's met with some animosity, given that if it's halfway successful, that's going to force um, the person on the other end of it to have to run further, faster, and play much more difficult shots than perhaps they signed up for. Whatever you do, do not avoid the lob. Just understand that playing a lob from the baseline or mid-court is generally a recipe for disaster. Your opponents are going to have lots of time to react to your lob, move back, and play an overhead smash, um, which tactically is not a great choice for you and your partner. I certainly enjoy playing a good lob. Um, I'm usually aiming to get it over someone's backhand, usually a cross-court lob over someone's backhand side um, has a, a highest chance of success. Um, it's fantastic at resetting. It essentially puts the, the receiving team um, back on the defensive and they're having to play another third ball, so to speak, or a long drop shot. Um, so it really can be a, a bit of a game changer. And if you are consistently good at it, what you'll notice is other players are going to have to start um, being a little further back from the line. They're going to not feel so comfortable really getting up close to the kitchen line and taking volleys early because they're afraid um, that the lob might get over their heads. So there's a lot of good reasons why you should play lobs when the moment is right. Okay, moving on. Dan Beeman writes, why do you think such a small percentage of players are members of the USAPA? And what would you suggest for membership growth strategies so they can better be funded and better serve the pickleball community? Dan, that is a loaded question. Thanks for asking. I think the majority of pickleball players um, aren't members of the USAPA because they don't play pickleball tournaments and it is looked upon as a necessary factor when you want to start playing tournaments um, but if you're someone who just likes to go and have a hit and giggle at a local park I can understand uh, that they aren't looking to get involved with the governing body. I think to help membership grow there has to be a, um, a concerted effort of a, a segue towards tournaments whether they ever um, play tournaments or not but local uh, social leagues that um, give people an easier chance to play the game they love but in a slightly more competitive environment um, I think that will be something whereby your average player will think okay I'm, I'm now playing something organized and I'm not having to do the organization someone is the governing body is therefore I'm comfortable supporting them paying a membership um, it's obviously not much $25 a year in my opinion is is too cheap it's something I, I think they could afford to, and I think they've got twenty-five to 30,000 members or so. I can't imagine if they raise that to even $50 a year that the majority of players aren't going to continue to support them. I mean, we have to. Most of the time, they are the front line in the war to, to make this 
a, a real legitimate sport that is looked upon by the world as a serious competitive athletic activity that has legs and and can be something considered for the Olympics for example another option would be as simple as if one dollar from every entrance fee in each tournament that gets advertised on uh, pickleballtournaments.com or even just every sanctioned event if just one dollar went back to the USAPA then that kind of funding would make a huge difference and you know, it really is a chicken and the egg situation if if they start generating more revenue then the kinds of things they can do to grow the game um, are going to be huge obviously okay back to ridiculousness Lee Whitwell writes can you drink your weight in beer Lee that's a silly question of course in the same way that everywhere you go is walking distance if you've got the time uh, overseas not included obviously Drinking your weight in beer, uh, I'll do the math, but yes, I think um, it is a mandatory test that the Australian government um, gives every expat around the globe, uh, usually on New Year's Eve, and uh, if we fail, we're generally deported back to the homeland for immediate training. Okay, Bill Ritchie writes, boxes or briefs? Well, thanks, Bill. Way to make sure the, uh, the tension stays nice and loose. I'm a boxers kind of guy, you know, the meat and potatoes do need some assisted living. Alright, back into some serious questions, this one coming from Larry Vanderroost. And he writes, if a wheel comes off my canoe, how much pancake mix do I need to patch my roof? Hmm, well that's a, that's a good one Larry. Um, firstly, you're going to want to check the axle on that canoe. And if there is indeed an issue with the axle, and need replacing, make sure you get something with a limited slip differential. Uh, regarding pancake mix, look, I think a couple of boxes of your classic Aunt Jemima is in order. Um, you're going to want to obviously mix that you know, generously with some good quality cement. And look for some fairly coarse sand to, to mix in uh, with that cement and Aunt Jemima pancake mix. What you don't want, of course, is any, uh, any of that mix dripping onto your living room floor while you're watching reruns of the Golden Girls. Let's go Blanche. Terry Hartley has a few questions. Firstly, what does the industry at large have to do or embrace to get to the next level where it's no longer a grassroots sport? And at what point do you think we'll see a tournament break $100,000 in total purse money? He goes on to ask, what's your mindset going into a large tournament and how do you get ready mentally to play at a high level for multiple days in a row? In answer to your first question, Terry, change. I think right now there is a lot of protection over the heritage of the game and there's honor in that. However, there's also restriction. For example, to get television coverage more often, they need reliability. They need to know that a pickleball match is going to last approximately an hour, not anywhere from 20 minutes to two and a half hours. They've got that with tennis. They've got that with other sports. They need to know that pickleball and its scheduled runtime isn't just a crapshoot. I think there needs to be some experimentation with the rules. I think we can't be so easily convinced that the rules that were set uh, you know, 50, 
50 years ago are things that you know we necessarily need to keep okay there's a lot of a lot of options of how we can adapt the game to make it more exciting um, I had an idea and I'm just putting this out there you know if you like it you can take it if you don't you just bring it right on back it's not a problem what about this I like this one if a team wants to call a timeout and the other team has two timeouts remaining they can use both of theirs to block that timeout what do you think come on it's exciting it's tactical decision making there what about an around the post being a two-point play huh think about that or a successful Ernie giving the serving side a chance to serve and volley huh what about that let's put that in the collective pickleball pipe and you know do what people do with pipes I also don't think that professional pickleball has to be called pickleball I mean there's a difference between ping-pong and table tennis table tennis is the professional version we can separate and I think 200 years from now no one's gonna look back with a tear in their eye because once upon a time pickleball was united as an amateur and a professional sport so that's just one dodgy Australian's opinion please don't shoot me uh, take it or leave it okay your next question Terry the hundred thousand dollar tournament honestly I think it's within a year two at the max um, we're not far away there are tournaments that have got close uh, I believe 75,000 was the Nationals last year so we're knocking on that door it's not gonna be long mate regarding mindset I look at it like a tournament is a test in the larger the tournament the bigger the test they're the final exams so to speak all my practice drilling that happens before the test um, you know there's that's just me studying and I won't really know if I've been learning the right things studying the right things um, until the test comes and goes and I give myself a mark as long as I'm fair with my assessment um, obviously video helps to be able to get a better understanding of how well you did um, you know you'll know if you're standing on a podium and there's people either side of you you've done well and you've passed the test but it's not always the case um, as well as it's not always the case that you failed if you don't win you either you win or you learn that's a mindset that I have to embrace because you know I've had some success in this uh, in this crazy game but I'm certainly not the best player and I'm just constantly looking to improve that's all I'm ever looking for is ways and means to improve my game it's an uphill battle I'm 36 37 what am I uh, we'll say mid 30s I, I kind of have to look that up on Facebook hang on 37 no 36 36 I'll be but I'll be 37 soon being mentally ready for uh, playing multiple days in a row at hopefully a high level for me comes down to just preparation um, you know I try to keep fairly similar routines in terms of how much I play and drill before tournaments um, and I have developed a better understanding of when I'm likely to peak um, and I'm cautious about over practicing you know three or four weeks before a tournament knowing that if I go uh, and drill too much or play too much um, there's every chance that firstly some fatigue will set in um, muscles will need more time to repair recover um, and I may miss out on 
repetitions, training days, because the body needs to heal. Um, that's part of it. Another aspect that helps me is basically making a, a little commitment to myself that I'm not going to skimp out on the smaller but often overlooked aspects of the tournament. Um, for me, that's making sure I'll always do my dynamic warm-up before a game, making sure that my nutrition um, is constantly getting better and I'm hydrating well enough after the day of play is finished that I, I do my stretches, um, try and either get a massage or uh, use a roller to alleviate um, the tension in the muscles that has built up over the day. Um, sometimes I'll do ice baths, sometimes it'll be Epsom salt baths to, uh, to help get the muscles ready for the next day. And if I think about those things before the tournament has started and I understand that my accommodation is, is going to be um, suited for those kinds of things. You know, not every place has a fitness studio, not every uh, hotel has baths um, or jacuzzis. The little things that really help in between day of play. Um, you know, if I've got that all organized, that helps me mentally know that when push comes to shove, after a long day, um, I should be able to recover in time if I take care of the body and the nutrition, hydration, those kinds of things. Well, that's all we have time for today, people. We had some fantastic questions and hopefully some adequate answers from yours truly. Please keep an ear out for next time where I'll get to the rest of the questions here on Selkirk on Serve.